I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting down the stars. Yeah. Cause when it rains and it pours. Yeah. And I'm ready for some more. Yeah. And I've been reading all the work. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Put That Coffee Down. The Freight Sales Show for Closers. My name's Kevin Hill. I'm your host, as always, here. We have a phenomenal episode for you today because we have one of the, the best sales authors around, David Hoffeld. Uh, he's written two books on sales, and his specialty is the science of sales. So that was the title of your first book is The, the Science of Sales. The Science of Selling, yes. The Science yes. of Selling. And your second book is Sell More with Science. Absolutely. And he's been on Put That Coffee Down and, and Freight Waves conferences uh, quite a bit. So it's been about a year, though, since we've sat down and talked. So I want to talk to, to David about what his uh, passions are right now, what his research, it, where his research is leading him right now, and maybe when a third book might be coming out in the, the, the near future. So, uh, David, you also have a consulting business, so I'll, I'll let you do a little bit of an introduction uh, on your own because you can probably do it better than I can. Sure. Well, it's great to be with you. Uh, again, I always look forward to our conversations. Uh, yeah, David Huffeld, I've written two books, as you mentioned, Kevin, and I have a sales training and consulting firm called Huffeld Group, H-O-F-F-E-L-D Group, and you can check us out, huffeldgroup.com. A lot of great resources on there as well. Uh, that you can look at at no cost, articles, white papers, uh, blogs, podcasts, all that fun stuff. And what we really specialize in is we do the heavy lifting of reading all these scientific journals and disciplines like social psychology or cognitive psychology or neuroscience and behavioral economics, uh, ideas that are transforming our world. And we take them and we apply them to the act of selling and we design frameworks that really help people uh, skill up faster and really grow their sales by aligning how we sell with those behaviors, those traits, those mindsets that are very predictive of sales success and help our potential clients through the buying decision. And before we dive into what we're going to talk about today, uh, the last time we talked, I remember this conversation, I remember key points to it. And we talked a lot about growth mindset, mm -hmm. which is uh, one of the, the key indicators of success. Yes. Uh, but also practice. I want to start off first because it is so important in life and sales and business, whatever you do, is this concept of reflect and flush. And I want to talk about that again because I, I think it is such an important point. I think we, the, these little voices in our head that it, that are negative, that dwell on the past and past mistakes, yeah. limit our abilities and our future success so much that if you can just do that one piece, right? Get over mistakes. It, 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 it's just that one thing can, can transform your life. It, it really can. And especially when we talk about selling, because you have a high failure rate in selling. You're going to have a sales call that doesn't go your way or the way you want it to, or a buyer's priorities change, or a turnover happens in someone you're selling to, or and just things go wrong all the time, and you have to deal with that. And the way you deal with it, there's a tremendous amount of research, decades of research that shows this is a deciding factor in how successful you become. And the research also shows how long you stay in selling. And so this idea of reflect and flush is exactly what it sounds like. When you have, let's say, a sales call that doesn't go the way you'd want it to, what do you do? How do you respond to that in that moment? Because oftentimes salespeople get bogged down with this and it haunts them and it corrupts their next sales call and it ruins their day. So how do we look at this rightly? And that's the idea of reflect and flush. What you do, my recommendation is in this, in this little simple process is you first reflect on what happened. And I reflect in a certain way, an empowering way that improves my future performance by saying, okay, what happened and what could I have done better? What could I have done differently? And once you grab a lesson or two, right? You go, okay, I mean, I should have answered this objection in a more productive way. What would that have been? 
If I know, okay, I want to do that next time. If I say, I'm not really sure, well, how can I get sure? How can I get that information? Maybe I want to talk to a colleague or a sales leader or listen to a podcast like this one on objections, whatever it may be. Once I have an action step to try to remedy that issue in the future and I've reflected, now what I want to do is flush it. In other words, I don't want to allow my mind to think about what just happened on that sales call because I've already squeezed all the value I can out of it. And anything more is usually where you beat yourself up. You go, why did I say that? Why didn't I do this? And it, these kind of thoughts are not going to help you in the future. To the contrary, they'll hinder your performance. And they're not fun to think about, so it hinders your life too, right? We've all had bad bad days, bad sales calls, and you come home after and you're with your family or your friends and you just don't feel like being around anybody, right? Because it, it, it's haunting us. And so reflected flush is a powerful strategy that allows us to reflect on it, squeeze the value out, and then flush it. And what that looks like is when it pops back into your mind, and it often will, right? You, the sales call, we don't, can't always control our thoughts, at least what pops into our mind. But the exciting news is you are not your thoughts, right? All kind of odd things will pop into all of our minds on a daily basis, but you can control what you dwell on. And so when that sales call in this example pops back in your mind after you've already reflected on it and you've tried to flush it, you go, no, I'm not going to think about that anymore. And the key here is telling yourself not to think a thought. Good luck with that. That's really hard. <laughs> what works in the real world is you refocus your mind on a different thought. So in other words, when that sales call comes up, I'm not going to think about that. What I'm going to think about is the TV show I'm going to watch later this evening, or the dinner I had yesterday, or the conversation I want to have with my kids later tonight. I'm going to focus on something else. So you want to refocus your mind. When you tell your mind not to do something, your mind says, oh, really? And that makes it the desire even stronger. So you want to refocus. So reflect and then flush. Don't allow yourself to dwell on that. And once you acquire that skill, it gets easier and easier the more you do it. And I have had people over the years tell me it has freed them, not just professionally, but personally, because a lot of these principles trans can transform not just your professional life, but they can positively influence your personal life. And that way you can truly be present even after a bad sales call. And this can make a big deal. So reflect and flush. It's something I do all the time, my personal and professional life. And I've trained now, I don't know, thousands of people to do it as well. And it really does make a profound difference. And it's easy to do. You just got to, when you first learn that uh, flush part, you got to stay with it and just don't allow your mind to dwell on that bad sales call after you've reflected on it. Redirect it to something else. And you'll find uh, that it can be a really freeing, freeing strategy when you deploy it. Yeah. I mean, there's probably been the, 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 the big thing in my life, the, the, the major difference. Once I learned to, to flush and reflect, I didn't know I was mm -hmm. doing that, but uh, I, I was one of the, 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 the top recruiters in our space and logistics, Brent Orsuga, was on the show a couple of years ago. And, you know, this is another way to say flush and, and repeat is that in cells, you, you only control two things, your activity and your attitude. Mm. And make sure those are both top notch. And that is a way that that's just kind of another way to say flush and uh, reflect or not flush and wait, reflect, reflect and flush, flush. Reflect, reflect and flush. And flush. Yeah. Yes. And it feels yeah. good, too. I was just working it with does. a salesperson um, the uh, the end of last week. And this was something he was struggling with. He would let, you know, a bad sales call with someone he just met mm -hmm. uh, really haunt him. And I'm like you're giving these people way too much power over your life, right? Why are you doing that? Uh, and he's like, I mean, would you go to these same people for advice in your person, in, in your life? Well, no, then why are you letting speak them speak such into your life? I mean, just think about how crazy he's like, yeah, you're right. So it's, it's freeing and it feels good flushing sometimes on some, after some sales calls. Oh, it's awesome. You're like, oh, and yeah. we're done. I'm never thinking about that again. I'm never going to think about that person again. And sometimes that'll get you really excited because you're like, I'm free. Like I'm just, mm -hmm. it's over. It's done. I've learned from it. I'm growing from it. And now I'm not thinking about it anymore. And sometimes that'll bring you on a, on a rough day. That can bring you a lot of joy. 
It, it can. And another thing that can bring you a lot of joy, because we've been talking about the, the flush part, the, the reflect part. Yes. And, and what you have to do, too, is learn from your mistakes. Yes. And when you learn from your mistakes and you handle the situation next time better and you, you get to maybe just a tiny little win, it boosts your confidence so much. It, it really does. And that's makes you uh, what we call anti-fragile, right? That term mm-hmm. that's floated around the business world. But it, th- yep. that's what it does, because when you can learn from your mistakes, in other words, after a mistake, you get stronger, you get better. So it's not just resiliency, it's you become anti-fragile so that you're not just taking a beating and you keep on coming, but no, when when something goes wrong, you get stronger because of it. So for every loss sale, for every uh, tough sales call, for every bad situation you go in, you're growing because of it and you're more likely now to have success in the future. And that can often be a game changer when we can take the bad things that happen, the things that don't go the way we want them to go, but we get stronger because of it. We get better because of it. That can be transformative. And that's what I tell salespeople is I want you to get greedy. And what I mean by that is when you sell, obviously, you know, you, 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 uh, it's obvious you, you benefit from that, but I want you to get greedy when you don't sell. In other words, mm-hmm. when I have an interaction and I don't sell, I want to get something from that interaction. And in this case, I want to get better. I want to learn from it. I want to now set myself up to be more successful in the future. So get greedy. Don't just take a, a bad sales call as like, well, that happened. I'm going to you know, try to move on and forget about it. First, reflect on it and say, I'm going to use that situation to get even better. I'm greedy when I'm not selling because that's the time you can often learn the most. And that's the time our tendency is to just shut it out, to say, well, I don't want to deal with that. You know, But no, reflect first. And if you take it from that perspective of how can I grow from this, how can I learn from this, how can I use this as a way to make me even stronger in the future, it is a powerful breakthrough in your mindset. And it really does set you up for much higher levels of success much faster. And not to get too sportsy on this, but it reminds me of baseball because baseball is like life mm, as yes. well, right? And yeah. you can see yeah. that the first first round of the you know the nine batters going through the the first round of the the lineup not having success, and then they're sharing information, they're learning, and that second round through uh, looking at the same pitcher, right? They get a little bit better, and by that third round, it's, it's time to pull the pitcher usually because they've figured out all right. the, the the intricacies and they've shared that information. And it's the same thing with sales; you, you're sharing information, but but you're also learning. You're 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 learning. You're learning all the time, and you're iterating, just getting better. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Yeah, I remember when I first got into sales, my whole methodology on qualifying was based on uh, Ted Williams. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a baseball player up until mm-hmm. I was a junior in high school. I was scouted, but not quite good enough to, to do anything beyond uh, anything professionally. And I remember I read Ted Williams's book as a young man. And in there he had, uh, he knew where, when the ball crossed the plate, he knew where his batting average was. He had it all mapped out. Yeah. So he was qualifying the pitches, right? So if it, if it crosses the plate here and I swing and hit it, my batting average is 250. But if it crosses the plate here and I swing and hit it, my batting average is 422. So he's looking for his pitch. And boy, when I first got into sales, that's how I thought about it. Because I'm like, oh, Ted Williams mm-hmm. talked about this back in the day. So there's so much uh, analogy to that. But the great ones in any profession, right? There's certain things that are common. And Ted Williams, one of the best, if not the best hitter that ever lived, uh, last man about over 400 in the major leagues, uh, you know, he qualified his pitch. And same is true with us, how we invest our time as salespeople. Do you know where your sweet spot is? And so, yeah, there's so many great sports analogies, but especially with baseball, where the failure rate, the, if someone hits 300 in the major leagues, that means you're failing seven out of 10 times. How do you deal with that? And so reflect and flush is a must for them, just like it is for us. Do you know the difference between a 250 hitter and a 300 in the major leagues? It's not much, is it? It's a minor, one, isn't it? One hit a week. Wow. Wow. One hit a week. And it reminds me of Tony Gwynn, who really mm. took video technology and just yeah. broke down every facet of every pitcher and every part yep. of his swing. Yes. He knew his he knew his numbers, just like Ted Williams. Yeah. He, he just knew. And and that's consistent against, you know, Peyton Manning. You can yep. talk football, you can talk a lot, you know. They're students of the game. 
And that's the reason why uh, I always love talking to you because you are a student of sales. You, you bring science in. And now let's flip it over to what your passion project is, what, what you're obsessed with in, in the science world as it relates to sales now. Oh, there's so much great stuff uh, that science speaks to in sales. I mean, it's just a matter of wh what do I focus on, you know, and what order. Mm -hmm. There's so much relevancy here. Uh, recently, it's really been applying in deeper ways some of the science uh, specifically around my concept of the six whys. I'm just seeing such traction with that. And then also something too recently that I've also been focused on is the perception of value from our potential clients versus our presentation of value as sales professionals. The research there shows there's an alarming gap. In other words, when you ask salespeople, are you presenting high levels of value to your those you sell to, they go, boy, am I. Uh, and they'll show you mm -hmm. their PowerPoints or they'll say, yeah, I'm saying this and that. And you're like, oh, that sounds really good. And then you go to those same uh, potential clients that are being sold to and you say, is the salespeople you're working with, do they present enough value for you to even justify having a meeting with them? So the bar is pretty low here. And in those surveys, here's what happens. Around 80% of the buyers say that the value they're seeing from salespeople is not even enough to justify the meeting. So there's this huge discrepancy between what salespeople are saying and sometimes doing. It's like they say, no, David, I'm presenting the value. Here's what I say. I'm showing them exactly how what we offer can really help them in meaningful ways. Uh, but then the buyers say, uh, I didn't see any of that. I mean, I don't. Uh. So what's yeah. going on there? That's been a focus for me because that's it's fascinating and it's so important because if there's not enough value, well, then, of course, no one's going to buy in their mind. Why would I ever want to part with something of valuable uh, funds, money for something that isn't as valuable? And there's this gap in perception versus presentation. And so that's been a big focus. So let, let me ask you this. Is there a connection between the six whys and perception and presentation? Is there, there something is. That's a great question. Is that that you can focus on to narrow that gap? Yeah, that's a great question. So the six whys again, are those mental steps all of us, our brains must go through to form a buying decision. We frame them in terms of uh, the word why, six questions, why change, why now, why your industry solution, why um, you and your company, why your product or service, and then why spend the money. And those are kind of those key commitments that if, if uh, uh, individuals don't make, they'll always say no. I mean, if they won't say yes to all six of those questions, they, they'll always say no to the sale. And if they do say yes, and you're talking to a group or an individual that has the authority and the financial means to purchase from you, uh, most likely the sale will occur. And so when we talk about value creation, we want to use those six whys kind of as the framework. In other words, if I'm trying to get uh, inspire you to say, you know what, David, I need to make this change in, in my life or in my business. And so I'm trying to present enough value uh, so that you say, you know what, based on what you shared and what we've discussed, I need to make that change. So the value is what's undergirding that commitment. It's what's building it up. It's what's enabling our brains to say, you know what, based on what we talked about, I need to make that change. So that clicks off that why change. And so with the six whys, it's like, well, where should I focus my time when I talk about value creation? You want to use that framework of the six whys of this is what I'm trying to accomplish in the sale. And that's always been a problem for us in selling. We say, what are you trying to accomplish when you sell? Well, I'm trying to sell. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm trying to guide them through the buying the process. Well, what's that? I don't know. So how do you do something when you don't know what that something is? And the six whys gives us the framework of the buying process. How does our brain make a buying decision? So I'm not talking about a buying unit or the, the infrastructure within an organization of, well, we have this meaning, meaning then this committee ways. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in between our ears, what has to happen for a human being to say yes to a salesperson? Those six whys tell us what should I be focused on. And so our value is for the purpose of inspiring commitment. And once you know salespeople understand that, it's a game changer because it brings intentionality to the sale instead of just go through a generic process or say this because the guy next to you is, it's like, what are you trying to accomplish in the sale? I don't know. Well, no, the science says you want to accomplish commitments to the six whys. Well, how do I get those? Well, I don't present ideas and value that undergird them, that inspire that commitment, the clarity that brings. And it allows anyone to look at their sales process and say, 
how can I get stronger? How can I get better? How do I really align how I sell with how people buy? And that's what the science clearly shows us. And how do I take the information and apply it today? Mm, yeah. You know, I mean, that's because I, I, I understand it. I want to get my six whys. Is that a pre-call resource that's tailored to, to each buyer? Is that something that can be done by an organization as as part of a, a more of a blanket or macro approach that could be that should be tailored to each buyer, but can give uh, their entire sales organization uh, a broad framework to, to work within? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's one of the things we've been working on over the last couple of years is this is so powerful. And when I first published my first book, The Science of Selling, I put the six whys in and when it's we scratched the surface. I mean, the depth here, there's no, mm -hmm. I haven't hit the bottom yet. I mean, this is like, we're getting into some really powerful stuff when you can apply it. So a couple uh, powerful strategies for using the six whys. Number one, when you enter the sale, whether you're selling to an individual or a group of people, where are they in their commitments to them? In other words, they might walk mm -hmm. in and say, hey, listen, Kevin, you know, we know we need to make a change. And you're able to identify, okay, they see the need for change and they want to do something now, but they're not sure what that something is. Yep. Or so, or you might find that, hey, they, they know that they need to make a change, but there's no urgency at all. They have, we might do it now. We might do it in a couple of years. We're just trying to get information. Okay, so I have to fill in the gap. So understanding where they at, where they're at on their buying journey, the six wides gives you tremendous clarity because now I can ask questions with this framework in mind. Second thing is, and this is a big one, when I'm working with a potential client, Oftentimes, that's going to be over a, a course of time, could be weeks, could be months, depending on the sales cycle, it could be a year or more. Mm -hmm. And so what should I focus on on my next interaction with them? So in other words, let's say that we've, we've already had two um, conversations already, and we're going into our third, what do we talk about? And that's a tough question, right? Because often salespeople will say, well, I've already shared that PowerPoint, I've shared that PowerPoint, I guess I'll mm -hmm. share the other one. Or I don't know. We'll see what they want to talk about. <laughs> well, no, the six whys tell you what have they committed to already? What haven't they committed to? So let's say they've already committed. They need to make a change. They need uh, to do it now. They know that they're not going to do the change themselves, right? And they like your company. They're like, we love to work with you guys. We, we love your focus on customer service, but they're not sure about what's the right solution for them yet. So I'm going to focus on why number five, right on my next call. Mm -hmm. So the six whys help you understand your buyer so I can speak to exactly what what matters most to them. And when salespeople use this framework in this way, buyers say, oh, I was hoping you were going to talk about this, or this is exactly what we needed. They'll say at the end of the call. Well, how did you know that? Because you, did a, you have a framework mm -hmm. that tells you where they're at in their buying process. And one last way you can use the six whys, that's really powerful, and that is win-loss analysis. When you win a sale or lose a sale, we'll focus on when you lose one for right now, using the six whys as your win-loss analysis. So in other words, you say, okay, which of those whys did they not commit to? And I guarantee if they did not buy from you, there's at least one or more potentially that they didn't commit to. And now you start gleaning that information as an individual and as an organization on a sales team, and you start sharing that. Because some salespeople you're going to find will struggle with one why and others don't. And so you go, what are you doing to address that? But now let's say that you find, and this is very common, the majority of your lost sales are because of a lack of commitment to one or two of those whys. That happens to most salespeople when they begin to do this. What should you focus on with those whys? So let's say it's why now, as an example, why number two in our, in our order uh, that I shared. So you go, okay, man, most of my sales are being lost over the last quarter to why now? So now I would say, how do I strengthen the part of my process where I deal with that? How do I help create a compelling business case for them to move forward now? I want to get more intentional, more strategic. What do I talk to my sales manager about, my colleagues about? How are you all addressing why now? Because if I can get stronger there, I'm naturally going to sell more. So in those three areas, it gives tremendous clarity as to what's going on in the buying process and then how you should adapt. And that's the key. It's not just understanding this from a science point of view. Um, because who cares about that if it doesn't make you more successful? It's how do I use this now to better serve those I'm selling to and grow my sales? And that's what the six whys does. And I think the six whys, uh, using it as a win-loss analysis, a portion of that really helps out because I, I think I think all too often 
people come back with, we lost this because of budget. Right. And that is a symptom of why you lost it, right? That That's the, the visualization, but that's not the core reason it lies in those whys. Exactly. Yeah. Oftentimes we just blame money on everything. Like they didn't have the money and they didn't have the budget. You know, we'll try again next year. And and what I want to focus on that can be unhelpful, right? So which of the whys did they not commit to? And why is it they didn't try to find the money? I mean, did they really you know that last why is why spend the money? And what that what that why really refers to, it digs down into usually there's only a limited amount of funds. And so oftentimes individuals and organizations are faced with a dilemma. I could buy from you or I could buy something totally unrelated that we also need. And so now you're competing with this non-traditional competitor that is, you know, not on your radar screen because you don't normally compete with something that different, but there's only so much funds. So now the question is, okay, how do I justify, how do I build enough value in their minds so that they say, we're going to push that other decision off. We're going to move forward with you because we know we need both of these things, but we only have the budget to do one. And so, yeah, getting deeper and using that framework of the six whys, it just helps you get better faster because it gives you clarity. Whereas when you blame it on things you can't control, um, what do you do with that? Well, you do nothing. And so that might feel good in the moment, but it doesn't feel good at the end of the year when you look at your sales. You're like, man, I, sh- I should have sold more. I could have sold more. Right. And this six whys framework, it is an absolute game changer. I'm Every company I work with, I'm always amazed. It doesn't matter on the industry. It doesn't matter uh, one buyer, groups of buyers, long sales cycle, short sales cycle, doesn't matter. The six whys is extremely relevant, extremely powerful. And the more they use it and apply it, the more their sales just go up. And the more you narrow that gap because you're presenting or asking yes. questions or presenting, you're, you're talking about yeah. core, what what their their value is instead of what you perceive that they want to hear or you know, we were talking about it before hit, hit record, you know, as salespeople, we're a little bit narcissistic in what we believe is cool. You know, of course, I'm, I'm showing them because I, I think this is the coolest part of our product. Doesn't mean the buyer thinks that whatsoever. It doesn't mean the buyer cares whatsoever. And I think you find that when you have a lot of different features mm. is is you're presenting or you try to present all the features and, and nine out of the 10 features that the buyer doesn't care anything about but you're, you're wasting exactly right. this time and and you're distracting uh you you're distracting from yourself yeah you're exactly right in the old days we called that feature dump right where you just yep. throw a bunch of features up on the wall and you say does that one catch your attention no okay and then you just keep sharing until they go that's the one and you go great the problem with that is to your point you bore people because if it takes you six times to get to the one they care about, that means you bored them for how, how many more how many minutes. And it's really what it done is if the sixth thing you share, they go, wow, that, okay, that's useful. You've also given them five reasons why your product or service isn't right for them. So it's mm-hmm. that customization piece. And uh, to your point, that's why really understanding your potential clients and what resonates most with them, what their needs are, why that matters before you start presenting your product or service, because generic presentations just don't work anymore. Uh, buyers aren't as tolerant as they used to be to sit through them and to try to search for value. They're like, I want value, like, you know, presented to me on a, a silver platter and just hand it to me. Like what matters most? And they're expecting that from us and really understanding them and customizing that value is, is really key to helping them perceive it. Like I mentioned a little earlier, and that's one of the things we can do is often even relating that, you know, so earlier, let's say when I was doing a little discovery, let's say you mentioned that this was a priority to you. Now, when I present, uh, uh, you know, my, what I offer, I might say, you know, Kevin, earlier, you mentioned that that this was kind of a new initiative and their priorities were really trying to accomplish A, B, and C. Let me show you exactly how we can help with that. And we do that, but right? So now yep. I'm, con- I'm making it so easy for you to be like, oh, okay, he's talking about something that's relevant to me. Oftentimes, salespeople don't make it that transparent and they'll present a lot of value and they're like, oh, they're going to love this. They present the value and they're and the buyers are like, why you? I don't know what that has to do with me. But the salespeople are are hoping or assuming that the buyers will perceive that value. So you want to make that you want to remove as much cognitive friction, as I call it, out of perceiving value. In other words, the easier it is for our brains to perceive 
value, the more likely it is that we will. The more mental gymnastics someone has to go through to recognize value, the less likely it is that we will. So we want to make it really transparent. And that customization piece and signaling that you're doing that by even quoting them. Trust me, if you want to get someone's attention, quote them. And they're like, Shh, he's talking about me, right? And so we're all yeah. like that. And so then you can connect it to what you're offering. And now you're bringing them into the conversation and they feel understood. They feel that you really listened and they're highly receptive to whatever you share next. And they're very likely to perceive extreme amounts of value simply because of how you framed the introduction to what you were sharing. In, in, over the last few years, I, I've set in on a lot of demos that uh, I, I guess I'm the buyer for, right? Or one of the buyers for. And nothing frustrates me more than sitting down and a half an hour later going through a wall of words with someone showing me a demo and, and not having the chance to speak or mm. say, yeah, I like this. I, I don't, this is what I really need. Right. And, and just getting a, a feature dump. And I mm -hmm. think in, in the world, especially now where we do a lot of video meetings, right. Is that you have no room for error when it comes to grabbing someone's attention yeah. Because if my attention is not grabbed in the, the first minute or two, and I'm on a minute five of just your standard demo of showing me all the bells and whistles, I'm on my email, I'm doing something else, and mm. you're just in the background. Yeah, well said. Completely agree. And I think what I try to get across when I train uh, the people, and it hurts their feelings at first, but we all know it's true. And that is no one cares about your company, your product or service. No one's interested. No one cares. As salespeople, we often go in with this assumption that, you know, they're interested in learning about me. Uh, let me pop that balloon. Uh, no, they're not. They could care less. Just like most of us, uh, before you were working for the company you're working for now, uh, if someone would have walked up to you on the street and said, hey, let me tell you about this great company, and you'd say, please stop and you know, leave me alone, right? <laughs> you try to yep. go in the direction. What people care about is themselves. They care about their needs. They care about the things that matter to them. And clearly there's a reason if they're meeting with a salesperson or even engaging, um, even for a brief period of time, they're interested in something, finding out what their needs are, what matters most to them, and then talk about those things. Because if you can connect the dots between what you offer and what matters to them, you've proven yourself relevant. And now they're deeply engaged and they care about what you offer. But if it's just about you and they have to kind of search for value, to your point, you know, it's hard to keep people's attention. And it's just like, boy, this is, you know, I want it to be about me because that's what I care about. I don't mm -hmm. care about your company. I don't care about the building. I don't care about the great people you have working there. Show me how the, all that will influence me in a positive way. Now I care. So you go in with that assumption and it can bring a lot of clarity is when you talk about yourself, make sure that you're always connecting that to what matters to them. And to do that, you have to know what matters to them. And that's mission critical to a productive sales presentation. It is. I, I think scheduling something short Right. If mm. you're doing video calls, uh, scheduling 15 minutes even, you know, and if you go an hour, that means you have their attention. Now, if you start with an hour and uh, I, I find people who start with an hour, they're the ones who lose your attention in five minutes. Mm, yeah. Well, that makes that, sense. It does. And I think recognizing the attention span and there's been a lot of interesting science on that. And um depending on how you judge it and the context you're in, with the long and short of all the science is, it's not as long as you think it is. Uh, so people, mm -hmm. you have to work to keep people's attention, especially when it's over video. You know, if you're face-to-face -face with someone uh, where, you know, it's harder to, it's more apparent when they're not paying attention if it's you yeah. and three other people in the room. But on when you're sitting in front of your computer monitor, I mean, you have email, you have all kinds of things that could distract you away and mm -hmm. if you're not really engaging them, uh, you will. And the way I found the two biggest ways to really keep people's engagement is, number one, um, identify what matters most to them and talk mm -hmm. about that. They'll sit, they'll be on the edge of the chair. And second, to your earlier point, get them talking. No one's bored when they're talking. Exactly. Uh, they, they, they get bored when we talk and don't <laughs> allow them to speak. So even if you present, and that's another thing. Um, and a lot of the studies and what we teach on how to help people perceive more value is when I present high levels of value, something that undergirds a commitment to one of those six whys, I want to get you to verbally respond to it. 
So in other words, it's asking questions like, of what I've just shared there, what do you think, if you were to have that, would be the biggest benefits for your organization? You know, it's questions mm-hmm. like that that get them to think through and then verbally respond. So it keeps them engaged and it keeps, you know, I always know what they're thinking about the things that really matter. And then again, that, that naturally will keep their attention because you're engaging them. You're, they're doing the talking. And as I mentioned, if you can keep them talk, talking, people will, I mean, they'll, they'll have long meetings with you because it's relevant because they're talking and you're learning so much and you can really inform how you present then to them about what you offer. Yeah. I was talking to somebody, um, I think it was Bart DeMonk uh, a few episodes ago, and we were talking about this, is that no one's really going to – sometimes they'll take offense if, you, if you're talking and you say something smart, right? Now, if you're answering a question saying something smart, they'll remember that. And, but, but the real key is asking smart questions. Mm. Having all the knowledge and research and those whys to ask great questions. I, I think people respect that more than anything. You can walk in and and start with a monologue and say the smartest things in the room. You could be the smartest person in the room. Uh, you're not going to get the same reaction as you walk in and you start asking really smart questions, mm. really researched yeah, in-depth questions that, that you know their industry, you know their, their company. Uh, that that's where you stand out as a salesperson, I think. Yeah, I would agree 100%. And there's a tremendous amount of research to to show that when you ask, we, we talk about questions in um, the framework we use is the levels of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked many years ago about uh, different questions in sales, and it's all very confusing and gives you a headache. Um, and so after <laughs> I recovered from that, I asked a different question. How does our brain disclose information? And there's some really interesting research on that. And mm-hmm. what the research has found, they call it the social penetration theory, is it does in layers, which is common sense. When you meet someone, you re- they, they reveal yep. some basic information about themselves. And the more you get to know them, the deeper the, the information they share is normally. And so we talked about, well, how do, why don't we have questions that are layered then? And that was a breakthrough mm-hmm. uh, for me. And what we found, there's been a lot of research on what questions matter a lot, and we call them second-level questions. And these are questions that help for deeper explanation or an assessment of an idea. It's been really uh, powerful. There's been some independent studies, like at Stanford uh, was one that shows when you ask these questions, uh, you're more likely, people are more likely to comply with you what you recommend after mm-hmm. you ask the question because they get value from it. And people say, well, that's a good question because you're helping them think through yep. the value or what they really want. And often people don't know exactly what they're looking for. They're hoping you know, that they'll figure it out through this journey of working with salespeople. And often they do, often they don't. And so the second level questions really do that. And another study at Harvard um, University found that when they hooked people up to fMRI machines that measure brain activity, they asked them these questions that allow them to give their assessment of something that their areas of the brain associated with reward and pleasure light up. And so what that means is, in layman's terms, that people enjoy being asked for their assessment of something. So when I present something of value and I ask uh, a second-level assessment question that guides them in thinking through and then verbally responding to what I shared and assessing it, give me their opinion, people feel valued, but they enjoy it. Like it's pleasurable uh, for us because we feel like, okay, I'm learning, but I'm feeling like I'm understood. I'm adding in my perspective. And so those are mission critical things that really do uh, predict heightened levels of sales performance. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Because number one, it involves some storytelling. Mm-hmm. But number two, you know this very well. Now, if if you write something, if you sit down and write a book, let, let's say, or maybe two books, maybe three <laughs> books, right? Is that... It's, it's kind of you're teaching, you're explaining, and you you generate a greater sense of knowledge and a, a deeper level of knowledge yourself mm. by explaining something to to someone else, right? Yeah. And and writing a book is writing an article, right? Doing a podcast, you, you're kind of teaching, but once you teach, that that is that third level of of knowledge, right? You know where you know it, you can apply it. You can mm-hmm. teach it. Yeah. And if you're asking great questions where people can teach you things, they're going to get a hell of a lot from it. Mm. That makes yeah. sense. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. And I think you see that on 
uh, when you ask productive questions on sales calls is that buyers will often refer to it as, oh, that's a good question. And almost always those are not like, how long have you been in business? Or how long have you worked with the company? They already know the answers to that. Those aren't good yeah. questions. They're like, yeah, yeah, I've been here for seven years. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Or the company's been around for 34 years. Or I have 20 salespeople on my team. These are all first level introductory questions. But it's going to that next level uh, where you really help them start to think about their situation, either deeper explanation or assessment. And that helps them formulate their own thoughts. Mm-hmm. So now they're getting value from the questions because- the question helps them clarify things that they might not have thought of uh, before. And as an expert, you're the one facilitating that, which again, and that Stanford study I mentioned, when you do that, they're more likely then to comply with whatever you recommend, whether that's having another call or going to a demo or whatever else, because you've kind of earned the right. You're this expert who's giving them value, even when you ask a question and keeping that engagement high, which really is key. Is there another aspect to this? Because uh, of what we're talking about and, and giving an assessment and getting that deeper level is they take ownership of the idea. Mm, yeah. And if it becomes their idea or they have a, a huge part in the idea of the solution, then they, they can take ownership and trust you more, your assessment. Yeah, I think you're on to something uh, spot on. We call that the, the principle of consistency. And there's also something called self-perception theory that uh, deals with both of this. So in other words, when when you verbally say something, you feel the desire not to be consistent with it, especially if it's in a group, right? If it's if it's one on one, that's one yeah. thing that's powerful. But if it's in a group with colleagues and you're buying unit, even more compelling. And that that commitment, whether it's, uh, you know, verbally where I give an opinion, I'm committing to something mm-hmm. that shapes future behavior. One really interesting study. There's been a series of these. One of them was. Um, where they, they interview people who are standing in line to place a bet on a horse at a racetrack. Yep. And they ask them, you know, who are you gonna who are you gonna place the bet on? Okay. And then how likely do you think that horse is gonna win? People go through the line, they place the bet, they catch them afterwards, ask them a couple questions, including what horse did you bet on? Was the one you mentioned earlier? Almost always it was. And they mm-hmm. say, What do you think the likelihood is now that the horse will win? Uh, what's really <laughs> surprising is people believe more in the horse winning after placing the bet than just before. And we're talking about 20 minutes difference. No secrets were given. No uh-huh. no uh, track conditions revealed. No jockeys changed, right? Nothing changed except the placing of the bet. That commitment, commitment. amplifies belief. And there's a lot of studies uh, that have shown that. So when people disclose this information, right, they now feel the desire to be consistent with it. Principle of consistency with self-perception theory says, I now see myself in light of that commitment that changes my future behavior and enhances my beliefs. And so that's really interesting too. So by getting people to share the value, like that question I shared earlier, you know, if you were to have a product mm-hmm. like ours, basically we've talked about what are some of the biggest benefits you think your organization would realize? And they go, well, and they start sharing things. Now they believe in what I offer far more than they did right before because they thought through and now they've shared the benefits. And if I'm selling to a buying unit and everyone looks at, Bob over there and says, well, Bob's in, right? Everyone's right. And now if I'm Bob, well, I just publicly said this. And now it's really helping shape the the whole group dynamic as well. So there's so many powerful things going on. And that's what that science reveals, right? When you understand Mm -hmm. some of this, you're like, oh, okay. And that's what we kind of teach is some of these real simple strategies. You don't have to learn all the science like I do, because that takes a bit of time. But once you learn some of these strategies, like second level questions, and then you go, how do I use these? You're leveraging all the science behind the scenes. And you're like, and what that looks like is it works. It works in the real world. And the science predicts that. And when you use it, you're tapping into all this science. The danger is if you have a methodology that is ignorant of the science, oftentimes I see salespeople sung against it. And so uh, when you do that. So for example, I asked the question after I presented, what are the benefits you'd experience? Let's say I presented what I offer a few minutes and I go, you know, Kevin, based on what I've just shared, do you have any concerns about anything I presented? What did I just do? I just directed you to think about if there's any problems. You might say, yeah. well, there wasn't any, but since he's asking for some, let me think. And right. And so where does that moves you further away from that commitment? I'm just, so now I took the science and I just trampled on it. And now I'm going to pay the price for that. And of course, so will you, because I just pushed you away from the buying decision. I didn't move you closer. And that 
probably is not in your best interest if we're this far along in the sales process. Clearly, you need what I offer, but oftentimes, and that's what the research shows as well, which yeah. is alarming, the majority of the behavior salespeople engage in hinder the buying process. One study out of Harvard showed 63% of the behaviors hinder the buying decision. So it's not just that we're neutral, it's the opposite. We're violating it, and it's not intentional. If you don't know what it is, how do you not violate it? And that's the problem with most sales methodologies is they're based on nothing. If you ask people why they do it, they go, oh, that's just what I like. If you ask why two times, yeah. they go, I don't know why we're doing what we're doing. We just do it. It seems to work, David. Well, the, it, it might have worked in the past, but uh, today's a different world, very competitive, and it doesn't always work. So it's, it's to say it's important is an understatement. And this can be the difference between keeping a job or not, having a successful organization or not. This is absolutely mission critical. It is. It certainly is mission critical. And going back, do you have any concerns? I, I think that that comes from chasing out objections that might not have been raised. Doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. Uh, would, would this question fall under that? You know, moving further away from from the cell. If um, you know, is there a question that I should be asking that I'm not? Does that fall yeah. in the same category? Is that is that moving me further away from the cell or, or closer to it? Right. And so, yeah. So if I'm presenting value, I want to help you think through the value I'm presenting, right? Which is obvious. Mm -hmm. So the question should do that. If the question, like I shared about the concerns, distracts you from the value and it takes your mind and points it in the opposite direction mm -hmm. and says, based on what I've shared, where there's a high level of value, what are your concerns? Now you stop thinking about the value and you go off to the concerns. Then later on, I got to try to bring you back. All of this is unnecessary. I, I found personally the best way to tease out objections. I know this is a, a fetish of some salespeople. Um, the best way to do that is with using those six whys. In other words, yeah. if someone won't commit to one of those whys, well, that's going to result in an objection if I don't address it. If I can get commitments to all those six whys, and as I mentioned, they have the means and authority, uh, mm -hmm. there's no objection. So the, what's the root of every objection? Uh, I would submit that it's a lack of commitment to one of those whys yeah. I mentioned earlier. And so that's what, so in other words, what creates it? If I dig down to the very foundation of an objection, so what's causing it? A lack of commitment to one of those. So if I can preemptively get commitments to each of those, I can neutralize every objection, assuming they have the authority and the financial means mm -hmm. to move forward, then I know I don't have to worry about it. But I think prematurely trying to tease out objections to overcome stuff that they might not even thinking about yet, or you're not ready to deal with is problematic. Uh, and it, yeah. it doesn't produce the results you want. Because it, it, again, it, why are we doing that? And usually when you ask that, they go, well, you know, I don't know. Or they say it worked for someone or it worked yeah. for me once. And it's like, dude, yeah, we got to have something that's objective. That's not based on um, potentially a flawed perception. I want like evidence. And so uh, I want evidence that's outside of, of, of me. And that's like what we do, right? If you look at any of my mm -hmm. books in the back, people always joke with me about it. Uh, you know, there's like my newest book, there's like 41 pages of citations in small print. There's like 500 different <laughs> citations to academic journals. So like, if you're like, David, prove it, prove uh, the reflect and flush that it works. Like you can follow the yellow brick road and read the study mm -hmm. for yourself. You don't have to, Hey, trust me, it worked for ABC company, and XYZ company. And I think that's what, that's the next phase in the evolution of selling is evidence-based, not anecdotal. Yeah. And most of it is anecdotal. And when you talk about science of selling, you know, there are cells, science papers based on cells, but a lot of, I mean, 90% of, even if it's cells based is psychology. Yes. Really? I mean, it's, it's psychology. It's how we're built as humans, you know, whether we're buying uh, from a, a salesperson, uh, you know, a million dollar enterprise system that we're going to spend months hooking up or selling your friends where we're going to go to dinner. It, it's all the same. Yeah, completely right. I mean, as salespeople, we are professional influencers. And influences, I define it as guiding people and taking what you say seriously and being willing to act on it. So you're wading deep into the waters of uh, psychology, social psychology, cognitive psychology, neuroscience, mm -hmm. because you're trying to influence people. And that's a challenging thing to do. And so those disciplines explain how influence occurs. They explain what are the factors of it? What are the, how does our brain perceive things? And understanding some of those principles is transformative. So to say, well, I don't want to get into that. I just want to sell. Well, that, 
that's that's uh, uh, doesn't yeah. make any sense because it's you're, you're ignoring. It's like saying I want to swim, but I don't want to get into water. It's like, well, <laughs> I'm not sure what you're doing yeah. then, right? It's not. I'm not <laughs> sure what you're talking about. So we're wading deep into the waters of psychology because we're trying to influence people, and so that's why I think understanding some of these strategies again you don't have to learn all the science that's what i do and it takes mm-hmm. a bit of time but having some of these strategies and knowing that they're backed by science it just gives you that that clarity and you can do that very very quickly i mean we teach this stuff to people in in very uh, very short time span within a matter of hours you can transform mm-hmm. your sales just by learning some of the things we've talked about today like using those six whys or or asking questions after you present value those can be game changers or reflect and flush mm-hmm. None of this is overly complex, but it's based on decades of science that that is complex. We've simplified it and made it so it's usable in a real world scenario easily. And that's the key. It is the key. And it's 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 fascinating. I, I love science and I, I love psychology because we are influencers. I mean, it's, it's just part of life. Uh, and the better you are influencing people, you know, winning friends, right? Um, the, the, the better off you're going to be, the, the happier you're going to be, the more yeah. successful. And then the money follows that. Um, and, and it's just really interesting. And, you know, it's always fascinating talking to you and having you come on the show, David. And, um, you know, we'll have you on again very soon because this hour has just kind of flown by. And, um yeah, it's just, it's always fascinating, you know, that that great, you know, the six whys and then that presentation versus perception. And mm-hmm. I think that is something that that kills, well, it kills all deals. It's that gap. And um, it's, a, it's a gap that's it's tough to figure out. Um, but, but if you start today trying to figure it out and, and working at it over time, just like everything else, the, the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. And once you get pretty good at it, once you get great at it, life becomes easier. Absolutely. No, it's been a pleasure. I always enjoy our conversations as well. So, uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on. Yeah. And um, to, 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 for your sales consulting business, uh, what's your website again? Yeah, Huffeld, H-O-F-F-E-L-D group.com. There you can learn more about what we do. Again, a lot of resources available at no cost. And you can find out more about the books as well, The Science of Selling, and sell more with science. Both, though, are available anywhere fine books are sold. Perfect. Thank you very much, David, for, for stopping by. Put that coffee down. Once again, we'll see, see you on a future episode. And um, I hope 2023, are we going to see another book in 2023 or is that 2024? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. It took me five years uh, gap between the first and the second. So it might okay. be at least that long. There's just so much research that goes into it. Yeah. So. Uh, it might be uh, it might be a few conversations away before book number three comes out, but you that's, never know. That's fine. You never never know. Uh, that's fine. We can we can certainly do that. But but once again, thank you so much for for stopping by, put that coffee down, and to our, all our listeners out there, reach out to David, get his opinion, go find his free resources, and investigate the consulting practice, and go read his books. And um, for us. You can download all of our episodes anywhere you download your podcasts and uh, give us a like, give us a ranking, uh, give us some some written feedback. That'd be great. Uh, But with that said, until the next episode, take care and go make some margin and read your science, incorporate your science into your selling.